Amen. Thank you, guys. Let's, uh, let's give our band a hand. Thank you so much for leading us into worship. They always do a fantastic job. Um, great to work and just be around very, very talented people. Uh, welcome. Thanks for being here this morning. My name's Dave. Uh, if we haven't seen each other or met in a while, um, I'm one of our lead pastors, and it is great to be uh, with you. Thank you for, for joining us this morning. A um, couple things to let you know about before we get into our text uh, this morning. Um, every week, our elders meet, and we are discussing, talking through, praying through um, just steps that we need to take in order to continue to move towards a more full reopening of the church. And we've already made some of those steps, um, and we continue each week to talk through that, pray through that. Um, we're in, in discussion with other churches in our area, um, local health districts and health officials, about how we can make sure we're following whatever protocols we need to follow in order to, again, ensure that we can continue to meet together in all of our services in, in, in here. And so, in light of that, a couple of other things to let you know about that are coming up in two weeks on October the 4th. Uh, one of those is that we are going to be reopening all of our Vista Kids uh, ministry and classes in two weeks on October the 4th. That's right. I think I heard an amen from little man right here. Um, that will be um, all of our preschool and our grade school classes during all four of our services. We're going to hold off on the nursery right now uh, just because obviously it's kind of hard to practice any kind of social distancing when you're holding um, a little one, right? And so, uh, but all of our preschool and elementary age will start back again in two weeks on October the 4th. Um, and then also, speaking of October the 4th, that's going to be a big Sunday. We're also, um, during this pandemic, we, we were told that we need to space out our services as much as possible to give plenty of time between them. Um, and so we spread them out quite a bit. We actually do a four o'clock service um, as well, um, and we're going to bring them all back um, to the morning time. So we're going to do four services, but we're going to squeeze them all in to the morning. And so here's the new times. In two weeks, we'll have an 8 o'clock, a 9.15, a 10.30, and then an 11.45. Um, so we'll, we'll have all of those in the morning. So listen, if you're a morning person, you know, you like to wake up at the crack of dawn, we got a service for you. And if you're not a morning person and you like to wake up at the crack of noon, we have a service for you as well, and then all in between, right? And so we're excited to kind of move those back um, to the morning time and just make note of those and figure out which service will be right for you and your family um, and join us in a few weeks. This week, we're in the second week of our series called Us For Them. Um, as we think through the series, um, one of the things that kind of dawned on me as we were talking about the series is, um, as many of you know, I grew up in a much more traditional denominational church. My dad was a pastor, and whenever I would talk to friends or acquaintances or someone would just ask, where do you go to church, um, it seemed to me that more often than not, a lot of their response back to me when I would tell them where I went to church would be, oh, y'all are the ones that are against Blank, like fill in the blank, right? Oh, y'all are the y'all are against. Aren't y'all the ones that are against like dancing? Aren't y'all the ones that are against like like drinking? Aren't y'all the ones that you can't watch certain movies or TV shows? And there were some shows we weren't allowed to watch as as kids. Um, I remember um, growing up boycotting several businesses or industries because it was something our church would do. We would boycott because we didn't believe in you know something they were doing or espousing. Um, and so I, I remember specifically boycotting certain things. And uh, again, we just kind of became known for all the stuff we were against. 
I remember my grandmother telling me growing up, she wasn't allowed to play with cards, playing cards, because those were associated with gambling, and you couldn't be associated with gambling because obviously we were against gambling, right? Furthermore, a lot of the stuff that I knew about other denominational groups was what they were against. Well, this particular group, they're against this type of music or singing or whatever, and this particular group, they're against all instruments and, and any kind of music and Again, some of those are, are not even accurate, but that's what I always thought, is knowing these churches for what they were against. And I just thought, how sad is it that often the church is known more for what we are against than what we're for? And so as we launch into the series, one thing we fundamentally believe and we really want to push for is we want to be a place where the church is known more for what we're for than what we're against. Austin did a great job last week launching us into the series talking to us about the fact that there's all this antagonism out there, right? You don't have to look far to find it. There's all this antagonism. The, the cartoon that he showed, if you were here last week, you might remember where uh, the point is basically, it's not enough that we win. We need them, whoever them is, to lose, right? We gotta stick it to the other side. And I can tell you, you know this to be true, this antagonism is going to ramp up more and more and more as this election draws near. We're in election year. You might have heard there's a little, a little election going on in a few months, right? It's just such antagonism. And Austin rightly pointed out that the root of that antagonism, the root of um, that thing inside of us that wants to pit us against them is sin. It's sin. And so this whole series really is about the fact that we as a church we don't want to sort of rest in this antagonism that seems to grip all of society. We don't want to be known as these antagonistic people who are just against everything. Instead, we want to be known by what we're for. And so this whole series, we've been looking at, at, at what that looks like for us specifically. This morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10 will be our main text. You can turn there uh, if you'd like. We'll have it up on the screen for you in a moment. Um, this is a really difficult section of Scripture. Some would even call it controversial. Um, and you'll see what I mean here in just a moment because I'm going to set it up for you. But it is a, a difficult section of Scripture that we often just sort of want to brush over. And quite frankly, it'd be easier to pretend that it's not even in the Bible, right? And you'll see what I mean again here in a moment. To set it up, um, I want to remind you of a few things that you're probably familiar with when it comes to Jesus and who Jesus is and what our God is all about, right? So in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, here's a famous text that we often read at Christmas time because it's talking about the coming of Jesus. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, here's what the prophet Isaiah tells us about this coming Messiah. He says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Okay? Prince of Peace. Over in Luke chapter 2 then, when the angels show up to a bunch of shepherds out in a field, um, this is what they shout and proclaim in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels come and they declare peace on earth, right? 
Then over in Matthew chapter five, Jesus teaches this, uh, this block of teaching we know as the Sermon on the Mount, the largest block of teaching from Jesus that we have. And right there at the Sermon on the Mount in the very beginning of it, Matthew five, verse nine, Jesus declares this, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Okay. A little bit later in the New Testament, in Philippians chapter four, the apostle Paul is writing to the church. And here's something that the Apostle Paul tells the church, beginning in verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. A few verses later, in verse 9, he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So right there within a few verses, the Apostle Paul talks about the peace of God and the God of peace. You've heard these things before, right? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peace of God, God of peace. God is about peace. And then we get to our text today, Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What? Sounds like we need to change some of our Christmas songs, doesn't it? Man, it sounds like, you know, join us for Christmas Eve this year. We're going to sing about a sword and separating families. Hallelujah. Like, sign me up, right? It just, it sounds odd. It sounds almost backwards of what we know about God and what we know about Christ. What does this mean? Bring a sword and not peace. And it just sounds really confusing. And so, I want to try to mention and talk to you for a minute about the context of what Jesus is saying here. And then I want to go back and just look through the text this morning. I've got, I think, four sort of overarching truths or lessons that Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand because they need to understand this. And I think you and I need to understand as well. And so in context, here's what's going on. Jesus is talking to his followers his disciples, he is trying to help them and prepare them for what a life of ministry is going to look like. They've heard him teach the same things. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, I mean, the meek. He's, they've heard him teach all of this. And now these disciples, followers, they're about to um, really embark on this journey with Christ. And he's basically trying to let them know that, guys, this is not going to be comfortable and easy. This is going to be a hard journey. And I would remind you, that Jesus did not avoid the hard and the difficult teachings, and neither should we, right? Jesus didn't avoid the hard and the difficult teachings. And I've said this before, and I will preach this till I am dead, that beware, beware of any, any preacher or teacher that wants to give you sort of the easy stuff, that only wants to give you kind of the easy stuff, the feel-good stuff, and teaches and preaches a gospel that doesn't cost you anything, right? Because that is not the gospel that Jesus taught. It's just not. It's easy to find comfortable, feel-good passages, but if you look at what Jesus taught, man, there were some difficult, difficult teachings. And so we don't want to avoid those things either. Jesus teaches 
his disciples, what he's trying to do here in the text is say, guys, I'm going to warn you, it's going to be a tough journey ahead. I don't want you to, I'm not going to dangle some carrot in front of you that says this is going to be easy, so, so come on. No, he's going to say this is going to be quite hard. In fact, in verse 16 of chapter 10, just a little bit earlier, Jesus says, behold, which basically is like scriptural, biblical language for pay attention, right? Hey, pay attention. Try that with your kids at home if you want to sound really godly. Behold, go clean your room, right? Like, behold, do your homework, right? It'll just make you sound really, really holy, right? Behold, look, pay attention. Verse 16, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. That's what he says a few verses earlier. We've talked about that before. Austin and I have both preached on it. Listen, when sheep and wolves get together, it tends to go bad for the sheep, right? It tends to go bad for the sheep. And Jesus just said, guys, you're the sheep and you're going out there among the wolves. And again, he's just, this whole section is about Jesus trying to be real with his followers that this is not gonna be an easy journey. And so in light of that, here's what, what I would say. I think, there, I think there's some really big lessons that Jesus is in this whole, there's six verses here. And I think there's some really important lessons that we need to take away. And so if we're gonna be for them, if we're gonna be a church that's known more by what we're for than what we're against, there's just some stuff we need to pay attention to and be ready for. And so the big first kind of overarching lesson that I think Jesus is, it seems like he's trying to get across to his followers in this section of scripture is this, that there will be times when conflict is a byproduct of your faith. There's going to be times when conflict is nothing more than a byproduct of our faith. Jesus was really clear that we are not to be people who make enemies. We're not to be people that go out and make enemies. But he is equally clear that we will have them, right? That we will have them. And so when you hear Jesus say, I come to bring a sword, um, I think it's less about Jesus coming to make enemies and more about Jesus coming and revealing enemies, right? Jesus has a way of sort of revealing the condition of man's heart. He's not coming to create enemies for us, but he is coming to reveal enemies to us. I've used this example, you know, when a, when a young uh, couple that's engaged wants to come talk with me about marriage and it, premarital counseling, one of the things that we always talk about in, in our premarriage counseling is that, um, you know, your personal issues as an individual, your personal whatever deficiencies or struggles or issues, those things are not going to magically go away when you get married. A lot of people think that, oh, well, if I get married, then I won't, I won't struggle with this. Wrong right? Usually marriage does not, it doesn't cause your issues and your deficiencies, but it will reveal them because you're going into life and you're going to live in such close proximity with another broken, fallen human being that you can't hide who you really are for very long. And so if you think marriage is going to like, you know, hide all this stuff, or if, or if you come and you, you know, your, your, your spouse becomes the enemy because you think they caused it, what I often say is like, they didn't cause your problems, they revealed your problems, they might have even magnified it, right? But make no mistake, they didn't create it. In much the same way, look, Jesus doesn't come to create enemies for us, but he does reveal who our enemies are. Because if we're gonna follow after him, sometimes conflict is gonna be a byproduct of our faith. Now, make no mistake, sometimes Christians are hated for good reason. Sometimes Christians are hated because we're just not being very Christ-like. Sometimes Christians are hated because, you know, maybe we're rude or we're unloving or we're judgmental or we're critical. And the world sees that, and there's, there's, there's reason for it. But sometimes Jesus is clear. 
that we're gonna be hated, we're gonna have enemies because we follow Jesus and the message of Jesus and the message of Jesus is against the message of the world so often. Sometimes conflict is going to be a byproduct of our faith. The second sort of lesson that I think Jesus is really trying to drive home to his disciples in this section is that our allegiance to Christ should supersede all of our other allegiances. We've talked about this before. In context, he says in verse 36, a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He's talking about allegiance to family right there. And he's telling his disciples like, look, your allegiance to Christ should supersede that allegiance. Listen, it's not wrong to have allegiances. I have a lot of allegiances. I have allegiances to my wife. I have allegiances to my kids. I have allegiances to my sports teams because my sports teams are better than your sports teams, right? I have allegiances to my, my, my state. I think Texas is the greatest country in the union, right? I love my state, right? I have allegiances to my nation. I have no problem saying the Pledge of Allegiance. I cheer for America at the Olympics just like you do, right? We have allegiances, but listen, Jesus is trying to make sure his followers know that we're, we're in a dangerous spot when all of those allegiances become more important than our allegiance to Jesus, And so in context, he's talking to them about, guys, if you're going to follow me, some of your own household, some of your own family may may end up being enemies with you. And this is a difficult, difficult truth because a lot of us, man, we live in a society where we elevate family, our kids, above everything. And again, there's a lot of things that absolutely, should 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 we have an allegiance there? Absolutely. But he's even telling the disciples Make sure that those allegiances don't supersede your allegiance to Jesus. It's a difficult truth, but listen, family is not king. Country is not king. Jesus is king. And if we're gonna be people that follow after Christ, then we have to give our devotion to him above all else. Again, a lot of people struggle. Well, you're saying that I should view my family as my enemy. No, I'm saying that they might view you as their enemy, and that's got to be okay. Are you saying that I should treat them like my enemies? Well, yeah, if you remember how Jesus told us to treat our enemies. Remember that? If you don't remember Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus, here's how Jesus told us to treat our enemies. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So yeah, if you have to view them as your enemy, fine. Then treat them the way Jesus told you to treat them, and that's to love them. Even if they view you as their enemy, you're to love them. The third truth that I think Jesus is really trying to get across to his disciples, we see it in verse 38. He says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And remember that when they heard cross, uh, they would have not thought of a cute piece of jewelry that represents their faith. They would have thought of an instrument of torture and suffering and death, okay? That's That's what would have come to their mind. When Jesus says, take your cross, It was like serious, this may require your life kind of stuff. So the third point is this, that that true peace often requires sacrifice. True peace often requires sacrifice. Now, I am not going to get into discussion of just war theory today. I don't have time for that. Uh, It would be a long and lengthy discussion. It's been a debate that rages on through Christian history, and that basically is this debate of what, you know, when is it right 
Uh, even though war is ugly and, and it's horrible, um, when is it okay? When is violence or war sort of justified? Um, and people will point to like the Civil War and World War II in particular. Um, and there's this debate on, on how pacifists should we be and, and when is war? So just war theory, and I don't have time to get into all that. Um, if you would like to discuss just war theory and really go back and forth and just, you know, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. You can just shoot me an email this week. I'll throw my email address up here on the screen for you. Shoot me an email. Just light that thing up. Be happy to talk to you uh, a, a lot about just war theory, but we don't have time for that this morning. But here's my, my bigger point is simply that, that peace, the kind of peace that Jesus wants to bring, it's going to require some sacrifice. And the best example of that is Jesus himself. Over in Colossians chapter one, there's a passage of scripture that is, just illustrates this so perfectly. Jesus comes to bring peace between man and God. Man is separated from God by their sin. We need, some, we need a sacrifice. We need someone, something to reconcile that relationship. And that's why Jesus comes, to bring peace. And so look what he says in Colossians one, verse 19. For in him, that's Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, here it is, making peace. Great. How? How does that peace come? By the blood of his cross. Listen, Jesus brings peace, but it was a violent act that led to the peace that he wants us to have. It was a, an unbelievable sacrifice that led to that peace. Listen, I've used this example. Uh, again, marriage is such a great example of so many things. But when a couple would come to see me and they're just, um, man, they're just really at each other, right? They're just, they're in what Dr. Emerson Egrich would call the crazy cycle, right? Where they're just at each other, they're fighting, they can't seem to get out of the crazy cycle. You know, they're not really loving and responding in loving ways and not connecting. They're, they're not respecting and honoring each other. And, and they're just on the crazy cycle. You've probably been there, right? And some of you are sitting by your spouse right now and you might be trying to pretend We're, we've never been there. Yeah, you have, right? If you've been, if you've been married for more than five minutes, like you've, you've probably been there at some point, right? Where you're just, man, it's just a struggle sometimes. And so a couple will come to see me and, and, and listen, when a couple is on this crazy cycle, then the way to get off of that is usually that someone in the relationship, someone in the marriage, usually the more mature one, has got to be willing to, to sacrifice and die to their preferred way, right? You've got to die to your preferred way. And so a marriage that's in harmony, a marriage that's in harmony is when both husband and wife are willing to sacrifice for one another, that's when you see a marriage that's in harmony. So the key to a good marriage is not to avoid conflict. It's not to never disagree or never fight. No, it's mutual sacrifice, mutual sacrifice. And the same is true for us. If we're gonna have and maintain peace with the world, if we're gonna have and maintain peace with our fellow man, if we're going to let the world and people know that we are not against you, we are for you, then we're gonna to have to be willing to sacrifice some things. Now, maybe we won't sacrifice our, our, or shed our blood the way Jesus did. And we're certainly not talking about sacrificing our faith. The whole reason Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples and saying that there's gonna be people that are against you is because of their faith. But make no mistake, we're going to be called upon to sacrifice some things like maybe our rights, our preferences, our privilege. It's always crazy to me um, and again, I think it's all heightened in the polarizing society in which we live, 
We tend to think so many people are against us and we, we, wanna, we wanna sort of assert our rights. So we're so quick to assert our rights. Everyone's again, we claim persecution around every, every turn. When you look at the early church, when you look at the apostle Paul, they often sacrificed a lot of their rights and their preferences and their privilege for the unity, for the peace, right? And so just a clear, Jesus seems to be trying to say, listen, peace is gonna require some sacrifice on your part. The final lesson that I think in these verses Jesus is really trying to get across is found in that last verse we looked at, verse 39. Jesus says in verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So again, there's this ironic thing that's happening there. That if you really want life, real life, true life in Christ, you have to give up your life. The final point is this, that a willingness to let go of our life or surrender is the beginning of the full and purposeful and joyful life that God wants for us. Let's say that again. A willingness to let go of our life, to surrender, my plan, my agenda, my life, mine, 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 mine. A willingness to surrender that is the beginning of the full and purposeful and joyful life that God really wants for us. Listen, scripture around every turn screams that this point is true, but it's just so hard for us to be willing to surrender and give up what is ours, what we think is ours. Jesus saying, I bring a sword. Listen, when a sword comes, there is, man, it's uncomfortable. There is cutting, there is separation there. And that's never pleasant. And I think about the fact that God calls certain people away from their comfort zone and away from the familiar. He calls them away from their life so that he could give them a better life. God came to Abraham in Genesis 12 and he calls him away from his home. There's the cutting, there's the sword, there's the separation and it's not comfortable. Abraham leaves everything that he knows to go to where God tells him to go because God had something better for Abraham. The nation of Israel, they are in bondage in Egypt for generations. All they had known was Egypt. And there's this cutting, there's this separation that happens where they go out of Egypt. And you might think, well, they were slaves in Egypt. That was an easy transition. Not really, because if you read the story, they didn't get very far into the wilderness before they wanted to go back. It was more comfortable. It was easier. It was what they were familiar with. But God had something better for his people. God calls the disciples. The disciples had jobs. They had careers. They had built lives of their own. And God calls them to leave their boats, leave their nets, leave their booths and to leave all of that and to follow him. And there was this separation, but God had something better for his disciples than the life they were holding on to. The apostle Paul was a Pharisee. Man, he was, he was highly regarded his status and prestige as a Pharisee. And God called him out of all of that stuff, the cutting, the separation, because God had something better for the apostle Paul. Listen, part of Jesus bringing a sword may be in your own life where there needs to be a cutting, there needs to be a separation, there needs to be a willingness for you to give up, to let go, to surrender your life and what your plans and your dreams, because God has something so much better for you. And I know that often when there is this surrender, it feels like something's being taken away from us, when in reality, something of infinitely greater value and worth is being given to us, if we would just be willing to let go and surrender. If we're ever gonna be a church that is not known for all the stuff we're against, 
where we stop sort of living into and giving oxygen to all the antagonisms and we start to be known as a place that, no, no, we are for you guys. We are for you. Then we have to be willing to look at the hard truths and the hard lessons of Jesus, to be willing to surrender our life for the life that he has for us. Because I think we can all agree, we don't wanna sit around and just be known as the antagonistic people that are against everything. We wanna be for people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, just the truth of your word. And God, I know sometimes we read it, God, like this text today, sometimes it just doesn't seem right or it doesn't seem to make complete sense to us. And it can be really confusing. And, and, and often when there's confusing text, God, it's also controversial. And God, the reality is it's just some hard, hard teaching about our allegiances but Father, we're grateful that you didn't avoid the hard teaching, and I pray that we wouldn't either. God, I pray, in fact, that we would lean into those teachings, that we would learn the lessons from those teachings. Jesus, we thank you that you do bring peace, that you are the Prince of Peace. God, that you came and you reconciled us to the Father, that you restored peace, but God, may we remember that that peace requires a sacrifice. So Lord, today, we thank you for your great sacrifice for us at the cross. God, is a sacrifice that was so great, we really can barely fathom or comprehend it. I pray that we, in turn, would be willing to sacrifice, God, to lay down some of our rights and our preferences and our privileges for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of peace. God, help us to be a church that is not just known for all the things we're against. God, let us be known for what we're for. And pray this in Jesus' name today. Amen.